0: What's good, y'all? Before we get started today, let me just remind you real quick to check out our friends at the Alt-Latino podcast. The hosts Felix Contreras and Jasmine Garst are your guides into the world of Latino arts and culture, alternative approaches to traditional music, interviews with cultural icons, as well as contemporary vanguards. Find Alt-Latino on the NPR One app and at
1: npr.org podcasts. This is Code Switch from NPR with a podcast extra this week. I'm Adrian Flerido. And I'm Gene Demby. So, every now and then, Gene, a musician comes along who proves to be, you know, much more than just an entertainer or a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And this past week, Mexican vocalist Juan Gabriel died unexpectedly of an apparent heart attack. And he was one of those musicians whose work really transcended art, but he also had a really complicated relationship with his fans and with society more broadly, specifically Mexican society. He was practically
0: a household name in Mexico, as I learned this week. His uh, unexpected death was a cause for national mourning there. And while many Latinos here in the U.S. took to social media to mourn Juan Gabriel, he was virtually unknown to mainstream U.S. music fans. I mean, I didn't really know much about him until you were schooling me about him this week, and he was a fascinating figure. Yeah. So today we're going to take a short look at Juan Gabriel, and specifically just one aspect of his career in particular, the intersection of sexual identity
1: and popular culture. So to do that, we're going to do two things today. First off, I spoke with Marcelo Baez. He is a musician, a artist, writer in New York. And he wrote a column for Fusion a couple of years ago. Uh, and he titled it, And Then God Said, Let Heterosexuals Enjoy Juan Gabriel. <laughs> All right. And we're also going to hook up with our
0: friends from NPR's Alt Latino podcast. Adrian joined them this week for a discussion about Juan Gabriel. You should listen to the whole whole episode. it's really, really, really good. We're going to share an excerpt of that show here today.
1: But first, my interview with Marcelo Baez. Uh, and I started by asking him about the title of his column. Again, it was called, Then God Said,
2: Let <laughs> Heterosexuals Enjoy Juan Gabriel. The sexual politics behind Juan Gabriel are always very, you know, toned down. Or I don't know, I feel like he's always been making gay music, but, you know, suddenly he made the music in a way that, like, you know, heterosexuals could enjoy the music. Since he died on Sunday, a lot of people have talked about...
1: Obviously, his immense talent as a musician and the tragedy of his loss in that sense. There's also been all this conversation about, you know, he transcended and overcame sort of the deep homophobia in Mexico and Latin America, the machismo to become universally beloved. And something about that sort of um, characterization felt a little bit off to me. I'm wondering if it felt off or kind of incomplete. To you.
2: you have to always look at it from his... Pers- I mean, try, obviously, to look at it from his perspective. He came from another generation. I mean, he was famous by, like, 1970, 1971, I think, when he released his first record. He was really young. I mean, like, you know, even sexual politics in America were kind of, you know, just taken off. I mean, in Mexico, all of all of those ideals take years to to get back there, so... As for him personally, on Sunday, when he passed away, my sister called me right away. And, he, and she's like, yeah, like, I, don't, I mean, I think you you probably heard. I mean, but, you know, your, your idol, he, you know, he passed away and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we were talking about it for a little bit. And, and you know, she was, um, she's like, how come he never came out? Like, why didn't he just say it? I mean, there was that one time, uh, Fernando del Rincón, this... Uh, a reporter for Primer Impacto, uh, Univision's Primer Impacto, famously asked him, you know, it's on YouTube, it's everywhere right now, people started reposting it left and right. And he asked, like, is Juan Gabriel gay? And he's like, uh, lo que ve no se pregunta, which loosely translates into like, what, you know, is obviously there, you kind of shouldn't ask about. I wonder if there was also kind of um, a sort of unspoken agreement that he had with his fans for a lot of, I mean, if you're thinking about these old school Mexican women that follow him and are like huge fans and he's suddenly like, I'm gay. I mean, if he was to say that, I mean, I think for them it would have been even more confusing and more, I don't know, more conflicting. Do, do, do you
1: think that that was kind of a decision that he made from the very beginning or that he kind of had to leave it at that? Right. So I'm thinking I was talking with my dad over the phone yesterday. My dad mm-hmm. went to an early concert of his. Um, he used to, Juan Gabriel used to play at these bailes you know these dances out here in California back in the 70s and the 80s and my dad went to one in 1980 when Juan Gabriel was 30 and uh, and my dad had been waiting all day for Juan Gabriel to come out onto the stage and when he finally did uh, the men in the crowd started throwing cans of beer at him and when he saw it raining down on him he just rushed off the stage and that was it that was the end of the concert and he never came back to that venue you know and um, you know, it, it seems like there was an evolution for Juan Gabriel, right? That early on, he was forced to stay in the closet, if that's what you want to call it. He couldn't have come out even if he wanted to. Um, it seems like by the end of his career, he, he probably could have.
2: You know, I think he was figuring out a way to approach it for a while. If you if you watch the early... I mean, that anecdote is very interesting because if you watch the early um, interviews he used to do at Televisa um, when he was on Siempre Domingo and Veronica Castro's Mala Noche No and all these shows... Mm-hmm. You can see him uh, restraining himself. He's like heavily restraining his, um, I mean, just his. you know. His His flamboyance. Yes, his flamboyance. And he's, you know, he sits there. He's very quiet. And you can tell he's like trying his hardest to keep his mannerisms down. And like, you know, and, and he's wearing like a suit. And he's just very proper, proper as he can be. And then um, in the late 80s, I think it's when you started seeing a, a lot more of that glitter. Um, suddenly he's wearing those jackets with, like, the sequences and, you know, just, like, really tight pants and maybe, like, the Cuban heels and that's, you know. So I think that was Juan Gabriel, like, slowly kind of being like, you know, whatever. I mean, people are still going to be talking. People are uh, they're going to be throwing this out there. You know, I'm going to enjoy it as as best as I can.
1: In the last week or so, there's been a, a lot of talk about that that particular portion of the interview with lenny where he says, Lo que se ve no se pregunta, mijo. You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another part of that interview, which I think sort of is equally interesting, but hasn't gotten as much attention. Yo veo a un cantante frente a mí, veo a un triunfador. Eso es lo más importante. Porque uno no vale por las personalidades que otras gentes pueden achacar que este y que el otro. Porque, hombre, todo lo que uno hace es lo que se queda, lo que vale. Los hechos son los más importantes. Trascender. Trascender. And ¿Sí? that could be saying that, you know, no. Essentially, he knows what people are saying about him. I mean, he knows that people have all these thoughts about who he is and, and, and that people want to pin him in a certain way and that you know, TV is going after ratings and people have these prurient sort of curiosities about his sexuality and his sex life. In the end, he says... ...que la vida es una y hay que vivirla. Y que si hay que pasar a mejor vida, pues tiene que ser en esta. Que se preocupen mucho por sus vidas y dejen vivir a los demás. It's not about any of that, you know, it's about living your own life, realizing you only have one, focusing on the deeds because that's that's what lives on after you've gone. What did you hear in that?
2: Yeah, I mean he makes a, a bunch of great points. Um he says sometimes I think, you know, I've been I'm in hell, but it could be in heaven and vice versa. I mean, he's kind of basically saying it's whatever you make out of it. And I think, you know, his most important point is that one, you know, as he says in the interview, he's like, I've always been honest about everything I've said. Um, and secondly, you know, that it, you know, his music is what is important, not a personality. He more or less says that's, you know, what people are going to forget. But also that people know what's going on. I mean, no, you know, he's, I think he's just saying I've kind of always been who I am. I've, I've never lied to anybody. I've never said I'm not this, I'm not that. But he says, no soy un ángel, or something like that. Or, no, no, soy no soy un ángel,
1: pero tampoco soy el diablo que piensan.
2: Right, so he's like, you know, I'm not a prude. I'm also like not running around you know in like whatever i mean i don't know maybe they like published an article about him having some crazy you know affair with a younger man is what the the context there yeah i mean anything you know he's basically just admitting maybe my life is boring and like what i really want you to focus in is just my music not 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 anything else uh, in that but, sense do you think it's good that his
1: music is what's getting the most attention since his death and not these other aspects of his life
2: his music is so good and so and he has so much good music that it's a, kind of like a quality versus quantity thing i mean here he, he has he, i mean he does he kind of has both i mean he has a lot of music and it's all really good but um i think he already sort of uh got past every Every single problem, you know, every single, I mean, he, he he jumped all the hoops, you know, and he got out there. I mean, he's poor, he made some money, he was like in jail, you know, he did. I mean, he had like every single possible adversity, like, you know, he had everything thrown at him. And then it's like, okay, you're a good, you know, singer, you're a good songwriter, but like, you're still weird. Okay, you know, then he becomes weirder and, you know, starts stressing crazier in like the 80s and early 90s. And then people get past that and now they're just kind of like more into like the smaller details of his life, you know, like, where are you dating? And like, we see you with these kids. We'd see you with these younger uh, gentlemen, you know, on, on magazines here and there and like what's going on. And so like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think because he was so honest, people still like him because, you know, he's genuine. He seems to be like a good guy. I mean, obviously, you don't, you know, we don't really know, like, you know, we never mingled with him. I mean, I met him once, but it was for a few seconds and not somebody that you see and you're like, oh, I don't know this guy, you know, he's he's planning something or, you know, he's honest. That's what he's coming down to. You know, he's I'm, I'm an honest guy. Never lied about anything. Focus on my music.
1: One one of the things that I've been thinking about um, in the few days since his death is that all of this grief has just come pouring out of people, right? People are openly weeping as, at his statues, at his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame under the mural of him in Ciudad Juarez. Um, and a lot of that is from obviously again having lost this icon but some of the, the grief also kind of feels to me like it's tinged with a little bit of of guilt you know guilt over what Mexicans, Latin Americans, the broader society what it, what it sort of did to him what those people did to him by not ever really fully accepting him or letting him be who they are and now that he's gone we just wish we just wish we could have him back.
2: Yeah, that's uh I think a lot of people feel like that. I mean, I don't know if you read um Gustavo Arellano, he wrote something in the LA Times about um how he used to be that young Mexican kid in Los Angeles who would tease other kids by calling him Juanga, which was, you know, for them a euphemism for being gay or for being a loca or whatever. And um I thought it was really interesting, but he wrote something he's just like, you know. To every Mexican father, you know, Juan Gabriel was basically what you didn't want in your child, which is a flamboyant queen and one who's, like, un- unapologetic about it. Uh, so for a lot of people, you know, Juanga was almost kind of a slur, which is really crazy to think. Um, la and, Juanga. And, yeah, ju- you know, yeah, i ah, va la Juanga, or, you know. A este, you know, he thinks he's Juanga, or he looks like Juanga, or he does something that's juanga likes. So, yes, I mean, that's a really horrible thing but also something that i think evolved and you know he ends his column um again gustavo regliano talking about how now you know when he grew older he realized that he was actually a great musician and that he was you know um very much a juan gabriel fan
1: aside from him being a great musician in his own right and you just liking his music you know what influence did he have on you as a, as a queer man
2: He's got just such a great story. I mean, every angle that you look at him. He was like an orphan. He basically was poor. He I mean, he came from nothing. He built something incredible. And he do you know, he did it on his own terms. Like he never backed down really. Like again, you know, he wasn't pretending to be straight at any point. I mean, so and the fact that he got to so many people, I mean Univision has been running, you know, coverage like 24/7 ever since uh since he passed away. I mean, everyone in Mexico, you know, same every single TV station and radio station is talking about him. I mean, the fact that you can have such a huge impact just by being yourself, I think was like the most to me it was one of the most interesting things um and I mean not just to me. I mean, I'm sure that for so many people, you know. And um and because you know he's he's one of us. And he talked about. I mean, I recently I read this thing. Uh, uh, Rolling Stone published another little obituary where they were um, talking about something he said to the LA Times in the early '90s. And you know, and he talked about how he never actually even cared to, to make a crossover, you know, or to sing in English. Like his thing was just like, I want to sing in Spanish. I think you know, American music is already popular enough. You know, I'm doing this on my terms, with my people, and he did it. I mean, not only he did it, I mean, he excelled. Like, he, like, wildly excelled. Marcelo Baez, thanks for joining me. No, thank you for inviting me.
0: All right, next up, Alt Latino is a weekly podcast about Latino arts and culture. And this week, they dedicated the entire show to a conversation about Juan Gabriel.
1: Adrian, you were a part of that discussion. Yeah. So what are we about to hear? So, Felix and I spoke to a couple of really cool people. One is uh, Carolina Miranda. She is a staff writer at the LA Times. um, And Josh Kuhn, he's a professor uh, at the Annenberg School of Communications. And uh, we talked about a lot of aspects of Juan Gabriel's career. And one of them was this intersection of uh, sexual identity and politics and art. Uh, And this is uh, Felix uh, leading us into the conversation. Before we wrap up uh, the show today, I want to get to this segment that I labeled, Was He Gay or Not and Does It Matter?
3: I think it matters just like so many other aspects of of his life and work mattered. I think, you know, it certainly it informed his work. It informed who he was in private and on stage. I mean, it was, it was defining. And in such a purely Latin American style, it was acknowledged without being acknowledged. You know, it's like, we all know what's going on here, but we're just not going to acknowledge. We right. will not be discussed in public. So he was always very, very coy about it. But, you know, I think Everyone knew that he was likely, likely gay. I mean, right. I think at this point we can safely the assume open that secret. he was. Yeah, it was the open secret. And it was this strangely Latin American way of dealing with it of like, I'm going to be gay. I'm going to be flamboyant. I will wear capes. I will wear bedazzled outfits. I will be androgynous in so many ways, but we're just not going to label it. Yeah. We're not going to label it because to label it then would make it real. But by not making it real, it becomes an act. It becomes a persona. And perhaps that offers safety. You it, know, It was an evolution
1: for him. You know, I mean, it was mm-hmm. I, I found a fascinating article in the L.A. Times archives the other day where he talks to the reporter about how the most painful thing um, in his career up to this point, And he was 33 at the time work the quote slanderous uh, sort of accusations against him about about his homosexuality and he said that it was the most painful part of his life because he attributed the stress of those accusations as he called them to his mother's death I mean he said that he, he thought he thinks that his mom died in part because of the stress around um, all all those accusations that people were hurling at him that he was gay
4: talking about this subject the one one other way to answer it is that you know does it matter um, I mean, it, it, it does and it doesn't on, on all kinds of different levels because um, we're talking about categories on the one hand that, that actually mean nothing and, and he transcended all of them. And on the other hand, it, it, those categories really do matter and um, wh- why it matters is less about him, I would say, and more about so many of the um, young men and women who um, found solace and found a mirror uh, in him, whatever that mirror looked like and what, wherever he was in that evolution, um, that, um, y- you know, he, he gave people uh, freedom to be who they were, uh, to imagine themselves to be the way they want to be, um, arguably uh, kept uh, young kids alive because there was someone who moved like him, who sounded like him, who suggested the possibilities of living differently, as he often sang. And so many of the remembrances in the past few days have been coming out about just that, uh, of queer artists and you know, musicians who, who said, you know, without him, I, I'm, I'm not sure what my path would have been, that he was crucial to the way that I came to understand my own sexuality. So it's really important, and especially in, you know, within Mexico and within Mexican culture across borders, that he could do that for so many young people is so, so important.
3: I think of him also as somebody who, especially as he got older and I think he became obviously more comfortable with the sexuality and his own flamboyance. You know, he would go out in these like blue satin numbers hmm. and set up a pants and capes and bedazzled stuff and just own it. And to me, there was something that was always really interesting about that because it was like sort of in that fierce ownership of who he was. It was that was what made other people comfortable with him. And I think I think of other performers such as Chavela Vargas, uh, another key Mexican performer, you know, known for her many affairs with women, including reputedly Ava Gardner, you know, who was very androgynous, who dressed like a man, who had that like deep vozarron, who was out in the sense that she acknowledged that that she was a lesbian, so different different from Juan Gabriel in, in that sense, but so fiercely Owned her herself and her sexuality, that nobody could deny it, and and I think that's the territory that, to some degree, even without ever officially coming out, Juan Gabriel occupied that that he owned it, and he he fiercely owned it.
1: So you know, Jean, that there was a lot to admire about Juan Gabriel, uh, And I think as time goes by, after his unfortunate early death, we're gonna find that there there were actually a lot more things to admire about him, both in his music uh, and in the way he lived his life.
0: All right, y'all, thanks for listening to a Code Switch Podcast Extra. Special, special thanks to our boy, Felix Contreras, for producing this episode. Our editors are Alicia Montgomery and Tasneem Raja. Our producer is Walter Ray Watson. You can follow us on Twitter at NPR codeswitch and you should definitely, definitely subscribe to our podcast. Also, we want to hear from you. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org. I'm Adrian Pledito. I'm Gene Demby. We're back next week. Be easy.